0: You turn with me now in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two, as we turn to the time of the preaching of God's word. This is a text that we are making our way through slowly, verses five through 11. I wanted to do a deep dive in this passage, and it wasn't my intention for this to coincide with this time of year as we celebrate our, the birth of our Lord, but it works out quite nicely although we may enter, uh, on Christmas Day, the death of our Savior. So be prepared that our Christmas sermon, our Christmas Day sermon, may be a little different from what you expect. But this text for us this morning is a a beautiful one about having the mind of Christ. So give here now attentive ears to the reading of the Word of the Lord. We'll begin in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now, And ask that you would speak to us through the preaching of the word and the reading of this scripture this morning. Lord, we come as those who have heard many messages this week. This world seeks to fill our minds and our hearts with the messages that our hope is to be found in this world. But Lord, we ask that you would call our attention away from this earth and to this heavenly message that you have given to us this morning. Work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to tune our ears to listen. Lord, keep our minds from wandering into vain things, but to focus intently upon the good news that we have from this passage, the call that we have from this passage to walk after our Savior, Jesus. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, this is a continuation of our preaching through particularly verses 5 through 11. And this morning, I'd like to focus only on two phrases in this passage for us. That where it says, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. That he made himself nothing, and he took the form of a servant. Many translations will that, take that phrase, made himself nothing, and they understand it as what the Greek says, as he emptied himself. It's a bit difficult, and we'll dive into that. But I'd like for us to focus intently upon this passage, because what Paul is doing in this whole section is he is calling us believers to have the same mind that was also in Jesus Christ, that our unity as believers is is built upon having this mind of Christ among ourselves. And this Christian hymn, as much as it is a declaration of the work of Christ on our behalf, Paul is using this picture, this demonstration of what Christ has done for us, to be an inside look into how Jesus thinks. What is Jesus' mind? And what is the mind that you and I are also to have? Last week, we looked at these phrases that he exists in the form of God and that equality with God is not something that he would grasp or seize or lay onto or even use for his advantage. There was a phrase that we saw that's going to come up again, this word form, being bo- that he emptied himself, or made himself nothing, and became came in the form of a servant. Well, the form of God we saw last week has to do not with a body. God does not have a body. He is a spirit. But that he reveals himself, how God's form is revealed to us, is in the form of glory. This is the form that God takes whenever he reveals himself as God to his creatures. That he comes in glory. And Jesus, this was glory that he had with his Father. John 17, 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so this was the form that... Christ existed in, this glory, and we will see this morning the form that now he adds to himself. We also saw this word grasp. What does it mean for that he did not grasp equality with God? Well, it means that Jesus didn't view his being equal with God as something to use for his own advantage, That the Son of God has existed from all eternity in the riches of glory. But the question for us is, how did he view himself? Well, he didn't view this glory as something to use for his own advantage. That instead, this text presents to us how the Son of God thinks and acts. And this morning, I'd like us to look at the beginning of humility. The beginning of humility that the Son of God shows to us. Next week, we will look at the end of humility. But what is the beginning of humility? Well, Jesus is going to show us two things here this morning. First, the beginning of humility is that he emptied himself. That, as our text says, he made himself nothing. And the second thing is that he took the form of a servant, or a slave, as some translations Present this. The beginning of humility is emptying himself and then taking the form of a slave. Our text this morning says that he made himself nothing. As I said, this is also a word that can mean he emptied himself. But it's important for us to understand what this means. There has been a whole generation, many generations have fought over what does this mean about the Son of God, or what does this mean about Jesus? What did he empty himself of? Well, I want us to think briefly about what this does not mean. This does not mean that the Son of God emptied himself of his divine attributes. Those are some big words and phrases, but I want us to think about this because this is something that is out there in the world that people say that happened to the Son of God or what he did. That in order for these Theologians and scholars would say that in order for the Son of God to take human form, He has to get rid of many divine attributes, like omniscience, knowing everything. His omnipotence, that He is all-powerful. His omnipresence, that He is everywhere all at the same time. They say you cannot say that about Jesus, that He is both local and in a certain place, and that he is also everywhere at the same time. So in order to do this, they would say what Jesus is doing in this passage is getting rid of his, many of his divine attributes. This is what we would call today heresy. This is false teaching. Now, some people do this unwittingly, not knowing what they are teaching But some do it intentionally because they do not like the thought of a God becoming a man. They're trying to find a way for Jesus to identify with us in our true humanity. And so in order to make Jesus a true human, they get rid of parts or some of his divinity. Some in history have even got rid of all of Jesus' divinity. But that is not what this passage is teaching us this morning. Jesus is indeed truly man, but he is also truly God. And this is important for us to understand that that this passage is not teaching Jesus is abandoning his divine nature. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have a human body, a true human, and we also have true God. Present there. So what does this phrase, he emptied himself, mean? And then what does that mean for us, as Paul is seeking to imply for all of us here? What it means essentially is that Jesus did not come in the appearance of glory. He did not come in the form of God, you could say. This does not mean that the, the divinity of Christ wasn't seen. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But how that divinity is seen is important for us, and how we reflect on what that means for how we think. Jesus' outward appearance with something that we could miss that he is God. You would just look at him and see a man. This is what happened all the time in Jesus' ministry. People saying, he's merely a man. The Pharisees became angry with Jesus because he claimed that God was his father. And as that text says, he made himself equal with God. They're thinking, this is just an ordinary human being. He does not have the form of God about him. He is not being presented in the glory of God that we would expect. But, as John shows us in his uh, his gospel, that Jesus shows his glory in what he does. He reveals the glory of God in his works. So this means that Christ emptied himself of his divine prerogative, to appear in divine glory. And that's exactly what John 17, we read earlier, tells us. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had when I with you before the world existed. And Jesus lived on earth in such a way that this divine glory was not manifested among humanity except for one brief moment on a mountain that we know is the Transfiguration. That there, Jesus, for a brief moment, peeled back the layer of what is humanity to show the divine glory that is there. And the disciples saw it, and they were blown away, so much so that they didn't even know what to say. But for the time Christ's glory was concealed, But there's something truly profound about this, about who God is, that we learn from this passage about the mind of God, that it is not a diminishment of God, of his true glory, to conceal it in human flesh. He did not cease to be God. Jesus did not cease to exist as God. In fact, his mind is one of giving away what belongs to him. Jesus is willing to set aside for a time his glory. To say, in order to do what I need to do, I do not need to manifest myself as glorious in this way. He is not holding on to what belongs to him. As if this is something to exalt himself before the eyes of others. He has a mind that is willing to forsake glory. So what does this mean for us? We, so often, want to be equal with God. So much of human effort is to clothe ourselves in glory, is it not? Our clothing. Everything we buy, the life we live in this world is a continual pursuit after glory. And the last thing we want is to be clothed in shame. We don't want to be embarrassed. It's a very hard thing. In fact, it's the hardest thing for us humans, us sinners, though we are, to forsake appearing glorious. We might be willing for a brief moment to say, okay, I'll let this go, but then I'm going to go get it later. This is just a means to an end. But this is precisely what the Son of God has done. So I'm willing to lay aside my glory. I'm willing to do this. And we learn something about our Savior in this, about our God. Remember that As John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This willingness on the part of our God to give of Himself. The Father gave His Son. The Son is willing to lay aside His glory. This is the nature of who God is. He is a giving God. but we are so often unlike him. Even though we have been created in his image now, because of our sin, we instead seek to take glory for ourselves. And we don't simply have a hard time thinking of others. We have a hard time thinking of ways to make our lives better. We have a hard time To say I'm not going to think about ways. Of making my life glorious. And this is what we are called to. In this passage. Of Jesus Christ. Emptying himself. This is part of the mind of Christ. Is a willingness. To empty ourselves. Of the desire to exalt ourselves. But what's. Even more challenging for us is that the glory that we would clothe ourselves with in this life is nothing in comparison with the glory that Christ was clothed with from all eternity. In fact, you could say that our glory is no glory at all in comparison with the glory of God. Our glory is a darkness before God. And we clamor for the slightest bit of glory in this life. But it's a mere darkness before our God. Yet, the Son of God was willing to lay aside this glory. And what does that mean for us? How we think about our pursuit of glory. But it goes even deeper than this. What our Savior has done. Is our second point this morning that he took the form of a slave. It is an even further step down. It's not just simply that Jesus did not come in all majesty and glory that's due to him. It's not just that he laid that aside and then just came as a simple man. No, he came as a servant, or as we would translate this word literally, as a slave. It's not just the absence of something that Jesus comes to us in. It is actually the presence of something for Jesus. It is the presence of the form of a slave. This is precisely what Jesus tells his disciples in Mark chapter 10. Many of you may be thinking of this verse right now. For the Son of Man came not to be served. Something he could have rightly demanded from everybody on this planet at that moment. Did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And in this singular phrase, he took the form of a servant. We have the highest and greatest mystery of all. That the Son of God, equal with God, clothed in glory, came down to us and took the form of a slave. It's almost offensive to us. It should be that God himself, dwelling in glory for all eternity, would come down to us as a slave. To serve us. You might think this is below God. He's God. Surely God does not need to do this. Why would the Son of God do this? Why would the Son of God come down to serve? Well, first of all, because this is who God is. God is utterly free to do as he pleases. Daniel chapter 4, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand and say, what have you done? He is free to do as he pleases, but what pleased? God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him, in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased God to come down to us humans and dwell as a slave. And through him to reconcile all things To himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Son of God came and took the form of a slave because the Father chose sinners who would belong to him. The Father chose sinners on this world who would belong to him and to whom he would pour out the riches of his mercy and his grace. And that is why it pleased the Son of God to come down in the form of a slave so that he could serve us to bring us back to God the Father. And this is the frame of mind that Paul is calling every single one of us believers today to have in ourselves. This is impossible. I don't think we fully grasp often what this call is to our lives. To have this same frame of mind, to be willing to forsake all glory, to come in the form of a slave. It's reprehensible to us. We do not want to look like this, we don't want to be servants. We want people to serve us, do we not? But through Jesus, this becomes possible. This call to take the form of slaves, this call to give our lives over to serve others, comes to us from Jesus Christ himself. None of us would willingly choose to do this. But Jesus Christ gives this to us in himself. He says, I have done it all. Jesus Christ demonstrates in himself the very form that we must take ourselves. And he calls us all to the same thing. What's interesting in that Mark 10 passage, when it tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, just two verses before that, this is what it says. But it shall not be so among you. That is, to rule over others, as the disciples were seeking to do with one another. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the reason why you must do this is because even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. We will never be willing to take the form of a slave And to empty of ourselves of this pursuit of glory for ourselves. We will never be willing to empty of ourselves of the clothing of glory until we look upon our Savior. Until we see what Christ has done for us. We won't do it. And so we need to see what Christ has done for us. See, as long as we are looking at ourselves in this life, as long as we are, as Paul tells us, looking out for our own interests, looking out for ourselves above others, we will never be servants of others. Becoming a servant will be a stench to us, will be odious. But when we look upon our Savior, that He has given Himself to us as a servant, as a slave. It is in that moment of seeing what Christ has done for us that it transforms and changes our hearts for the way that we now look at others. Because Christ has done this for me. It is there that we begin to consider the interests of others. Christ has considered my interest as more important than his own. He has considered my life as more important than his own. And if Christ has done that for me, how should I now turn and look at those around me? So this morning, my call to you is to look at your Savior. Who took the form of a servant for you. Who laid aside glory to save you. Who came not as a person seeking your service for him. To glorify him, exalt him as if he needed that. But he laid it aside so that he could rescue you and bring you to himself. And from that, let it inform the way you look at others. Not as those who you are going to use to glorify yourself, but to serve and to give your life away for them as well. So look to Christ. Look to him and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we we cannot do this in our own strength and power. And so we ask Your Holy Spirit to help us to look towards Jesus Christ, to set our minds and our attention upon Him and what He's done for us, giving Himself away freely for our sake, serving us who are sinners. Lord, help us to be willing to give ourselves away To look out to the interests of others. How desperately we need your help, Father. Do this in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.